Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Adam McRoberts. This is the Do Big Things Podcast, episode one, two, three. That's got to be lucky, right? Episode one, two, three. Uh, if you're new here, thanks for dropping by. I like to have conversations with people that are doing big things in their lives. That might be running ultra marathons, writing a book. Uh, I like talking with uh, authors, athletes, artists, entrepreneurs, you name it. Um, anybody out there getting after it and doing big things. Like my guest today, Justin True has become the hero of his own story in a very real way. After a traumatic and sometimes violent childhood, um, including a suicide attempt, he carved himself into a successful MMA fighter turned hybrid endurance athlete. He raises money for different charities and organizations by doing these world record type of events, including pulling a truck for a 26.2 marathon distance, 26.2 miles. He is currently training for the world's largest triathlon. Okay. Get this. He's going to swim 60 miles. Then he's going to bike 3,000 miles. And then he's going to top it off with, you know, just an easy 600-mile run. <laughs> um, and he, and he thinks it's going to take around 28 days. That, that's the goal, I think he said. Um, anyways, you guys are going to want to hear this conversation. It was fantastic. I enjoyed it. I could have talked to him forever. Do big things, Justin. Yeah, baby. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors and supporters, Exoscan, Athletic Brewing, Alter Ego Running. Uh, I've got discount codes at the end of the show and in the show notes for you guys. Remember, by supporting our sup- sponsors, you're supporting this show. So it is appreciated. Let them know we sent you. All right, let's jump right in this week. You guys are going to love this episode. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. All right, Justin True. Uh, thanks hey. for coming on the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, thank you for asking me to be on. Uh, it was an honor. I was really stoked to see your message come through and glad we could link up so quick. Oh, dude, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, uh, how was your training today? Oh, it hasn't started. There's been, oh. I mean, it is 5 p.m. right now. And this is just like, I wish I could just train. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's Got a day difficult. job or something? the day job is trying to get this together, get this okay. up and running. Okay. Um, you know, it's eight weeks to go. And I just kind of found out that my swim coach has to leave partway. She's my swim coach primarily, but like also my head crew chief for the whole thing. And she just had to, ba- or not bail. And like, I don't want to make it sound bad, but like she has to leave on the 10th. So 10 days into it, she has to leave. Wow. And I'm like, you know, 
it, it is what it is. I understand everybody's got lives. So I'm, there's no love loss. I absolutely love her to death, but it's like, Oh man. And pe- pieces keep falling apart with everything, but I'm just, I'm used to there's, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. We'll go wrong. So I have contingency plans for like three stages of everything. If anything goes like, I just messaged her literally, I just ended like a five minute voicemail back to her being like, it's all good. Like we'll keep the ball rolling. So I just figured out two minutes ago that this is what it was. Um, but yeah, my day stuff is literally just figuring out how to get this thing rolling funded, um, everything. Okay. So tell me about what you're up to. Let everyone know what's happening. So, um, this has been now 12 months in the making, uh, soon to be 15 once we start, but, um, I'm going to be swimming about 60 miles in the Atlantic ocean across the Gulf stream up to Miami, Florida. And then I'm going to hop off onto a bike immediately and um cycle from miami all the way to san diego which will be about 3,000 to 3,200 miles um following the like iconic or sort of uh southern tier route across the states so that should be super gorgeous and then we'll do a 600 mile run up uh the coast of california from san diego to the other side of the golden gate bridge which is kind of my hometown my home area so okay it's a big month i'm aiming to do that in in 28 days. So I'm projected probably about 30, 31. Okay. Okay. And what brought this on? Is this all your idea? Was this your, your brainchild? And, and is this the world's largest triathlon? It sounds pretty (laughs) damn huge. Yeah. So this is much more than brainchild. This thing is my baby now. Like this is, I refer to it as my child all the time because it took on a life of its own. I'm so used to doing a project coming up with something crazy and being like, I'm going to do it in a couple months. And that's what it was. I came up with this in January of last year. And I was like, I'm going to do it in May of that year. I got off work in Minnesota on May 1st. And I was planning on going straight down to the Bay or straight down to like, you know, the Bahamas and doing it. But um, a production crew got a hold of me. They saw it on the news and was like, listen, we'll do it. If you hold off, like we cannot start. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. So, um, now it's just taken off a whole, taken on its whole life of its own. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's been absolutely incredible and it all be, all came to be cause I was just got really bored. <laughs> <laughs> I, 2000, 2019 was a pretty hectic year for me as far as like challenges goes. And, um, I was just sitting at work one day in the fall and I was like, man, I haven't done anything in a while. I'm kind of getting the itch. I want to figure out something to help somebody. What can I do? That's going to cause enough attention towards an important cause. And I just didn't have a cause that was like resonating with me or a friend wasn't in need. There's always been someone in need that I need to help like raise money for, whether it was like um, leukemia and lymphoma society or helping refugees that, you know, I travel a lot. So a lot of my friends are kind of from those developing countries and uh, nothing was hitting home. And then I thought, man, my mental health is kind of like a big thing that I've always kind of hid. So why not do this one for me? Mm, Nice. Okay. So, yeah. Well, let's jump into that, man. I love talking about mental health because I have my own struggles as well. So, I mean, how did you get into this? Like, how did you realize that you had issues with mental health? Has this been ongoing for your whole life or how did this start? Yeah, I'd have to say probably around the time that like I started hearing voices Mm -hmm. and I just thought I was literally going crazy. I literally thought I was losing my mind. I I was like, this is what when you walk past like homeless people on the street and they're talking to themselves, I'm like, I always wondered 
where that stems from. And I'm like, this is me now. I was like, I am that person. And I ended up seeing a therapist and they're just like, you're not crazy. You're just like, you don't sleep. Like I, I, I was working about like three or four jobs and still going to school full time. And I was uh, fighting at the time as well. So three full jobs plus fighting full time is like trying to make that a career, um, like MMA and all that. And then going to school for engineering. And uh, I just never slept. I was like, there's no need to, I have to make money. I have to support my family. Um, you know? Yeah. So is that the reason you were hearing voices from lack of sleep or did you actually have like a bipolar disorder or? No, it was just lack of sleep. Um, I guess like you can like define it as like metacognition. So you're thinking about thinking and it's like, basically you think a thought and then you keep wondering why you think that. And then it would just stem out of control. And you keep thinking about why you're thinking about why you're thinking about that. And I'm like, I'm talking to myself. I'm literally having discussions about why I want to do this. And then why did I think I wanted to do it? And I just never slept. So my mind was going 24 seven and then the thoughts just got really dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think just being so busy all the time, it was good in a sense, but once everything cooled down, like I had no outlet anymore. I was so busy. I couldn't deal with my mental health and the, and the things that I was keeping under the rug because I was so active trying to support my family, trying to support myself and make a future for myself at, you know, 16, 17, 18 at the time, I like had to grow up really fast at like 14. And, um, you know, I swept everything under the rug. And then finally, once everything cooled down and I wasn't doing all those things, you know, like the suicidal thoughts came in and I was like, why am I here? Like, I didn't choose any of this. I lost my whole entire teenage career because I was living an adult life, man. Like I didn't choose this. So yeah, man. What was your childhood like? Um, you mentioned that at an early age, you were working several jobs and fighting MMA and focusing yeah. on your future and a career. So like, why were you trying to grow up so fast? What happened? Um, I didn't try to grow up for a little fast. I guess I had a route to go. Um, my brother chose one way, which is drugs and put needles in his arm. Mm-hmm. And um, I chose the other way. Um, didn't really have a dad after 14 um, probably sooner on, uh, childhood was extremely rough. I mean, to sum it up, there was, you know, I, my brother and I, it was like, it was a war zone. People are like, Oh, it's brotherly love brothers fight. Like, no, I thought that's how it was until I told people. And they're like, yeah, dude, like when I fight my brother, we just like punch each other. Like my brother, there's knives, there's chainsaws. Like I'd get locked in a dog kennel for like when, if my parents went away for the weekend, he would lock me in our dog kennel. We had a six, we had a six dog dog kennel, which is like big, but like not for a human. And he would lock me in it and he would just force me in it and he would torch me. Like he'd grab like a spray can and like lighter and he would torch me. He would waterboard me. Um, he would drag me out of it and just like kick my head into the cement steps. Like I remember all of this so vividly. And, um, when my parents came home and I'm like dying, um, I asked for it. They're like, well, you asked for it. You kept, you know, begging, like egging them on. I'm like, I guess I did. So um, I was just the dummy. I was just always took a beating. And um, that was my life is like, I always tried calling the cops. My family is really connected with the police. So nobody ever came to my rescue. I just thought like I was being a baby about it. And um, I just thought all that was normal. And then I told the girlfriend one, I told the girlfriend one time and she was like, you need help. Like you need to talk to somebody. And I'm like, why? That's just how people are. Like, no, that's not normal. 
Like <laughs> my parents would leave and he would hold a knife to my back for eight hours. They'd go out to dinner and no reason why he would just hold a knife against my back, like stabbing into me. And he's like, if you move and you don't listen to me, I'm going to stab you. And he would just sit there. It was just a control thing. He was like psychotic. Um, but yeah, it was just nuts. That was literally just from as long as I could remember, I have like a scar above my eye right there somewhere from just taking like a bucket chair to the head from across the room when I was like four, like he just would, I was, yeah, man. So it was tough. Um, I didn't realize how tough it was until I got older and I realized that stuff's not normal. Um, yeah. that's only the, the start of it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, my uh, dad was super abusive. I'm guessing he was abusive to my brother. And once my brother left home, um, he started kind of beating on me. And then once I got older, I guess I could stand up for myself. And then, yeah, just goes into control, out of control. My mom ended up uh, splitting up with him. Um, she ended up dating somebody. My dad is really controlling. This is going to turn like therapy session. But uh, he was super controlling and um, promised to sleep somewhere. And uh he convinced the guy who my mom was seeing to uh, my mom broke up with him. Cause she's like, Hey, you and my ex are way too close. And he convinced the guy to stab my mom. And um, my mom ended up getting stabbed seven times. And one, one really brutal one from like the neck from the bottom of the ear, all the way down to her collarbone. And uh, her jugular was hanging on by like millimeters, like literal, literal millimeters. And uh, that's the only reason why she survived is like, somebody came along and put pressure on it. Um, and yeah, so from that point on, I had a decision. I was like, my brother's overdosing pretty much down the hall. Um, my mom might not make it till tomorrow. I don't have a dad anymore. Um, do I go outside and like go down the same route as my brother or do I go the other way and try to be the rock that this family needs? So yeah, that's what I decided. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I fought some MMA back in the day too. So, so I know that world and, and I always wish that I had an older brother that I, I could have gotten scraps with that would have made me tougher, you know, because I didn't, I didn't have that older brother. And I imagine that makes you somewhat tougher in the cage. You know, you've, you've grown up with, with roughhousing, but this sounds like way more than roughhousing. I'm curious, like what your relationship is with, with your brother now, is there a relationship? Um, yeah, he's terrified of me now. Um, it was the most satisfying thing, man. Um, it was probably during my third fight and I had finished all my fights up to that point. And, um, he like my mom, he didn't tell me, but my mom told me, she's like, yeah, like buddy came up to me after his name's buddy. And, uh, he was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm afraid of Justin. Like he wants to fight me. Cause I keep telling him all the time. I'm like, dude, I'm going to like, I'm going to get you one day. Like, yeah. I owe you. And he's like, no, no, we're not. And I was like, no, like there's gonna be a day where I'm going to get you back. Like you better just accept it now or you're going to wait and I'm going to get better. <laughs> and he's like, no, like he's telling my mom, he's like, I'm afraid of him. And I'm like, good. So, um, I don't think I could anymore. Um, him and I are good now after my mom, um, after the stabbing, uh, there was a really pivotal moment where he picked me up from the airport and, uh, we hugged over the center council and just, he's like, I, just, I love you. Like we knew we were all we had like in a couple hours we might not have our mom so like we knew we, we were all we had and from that moment on like we were tight like we dropped everything like there's no love loss uh there's been up and downs throughout the years and he went to prison for a little bit and uh 
didn't get straight right away after that. You think you would, but I guess, you know, you're still dealing with hurt. So you just go deeper into the drugs and uh, yeah, he's a crazy person, man. I asked him one time, I was like, Hey man, just question. Like, cause I talk about you a lot on interviews. Like how many times have you overdosed? Cause like, I don't want to speak wrong for you. And he's like before 18 or after 18. And I was like, whose response is that? And he's like, <laughs> it was about half a dozen times before 18. And he's like been declared dead for a total of like eight minutes like a death certificate was written for him. And I'm like, you need to write a book, man. But um, he's doing excellent. He's a chef in Bend, Oregon and like absolutely incredible chef. Just a good dude. Um, extremely smart. And uh, yeah, I got nothing but love for him. So we're good. I just wow. still owe him. I owe him one beating. So it's <laughs> like walk up and choke him out at least once just to make it yeah. happen. Yeah. What but about I always your- tell him. I always tell him like, man, I owe it all to you because like when I stepped in a cage, I'm like, this person doesn't have a knife. Like, what do I have to be afraid of? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm the toughest person because I think I survived it with him. So Dude. yeah, I owe it to him for my toughness, at least. How about your mom? How's she doing? Oh, uh, she's great. She's a workhorse. She's still, um, she got stabbed when she was at work and, uh, she works at a grocery store, still goes back to that same grocery store every single night. This was a the different stabbing? No, it was the same one. Same, so okay. Yeah. So she got sad why she was at, at, at work. Okay. And, um, you know, most people, I think that's where my toughness comes from too. Mentally is like, I think most people get attacked, not even just stabbed to death almost, but like beat up or jumped and they, uh, end up moving towns. They're afraid to go back to where that happened. She literally like, couldn't wait to get better. Um, didn't take any painkillers at all. Um, she refused it all. Um, and then just when she could walk, she went back to work and uh stands in the same exact spot she got attacked in uh nine years ago or so or 10 years ago so the fact that she could still go back to that spot every day like that keeps me going when it when anything gets tough like that keeps me going that like i can't back down like she didn't back down she wasn't gonna let someone else win so she still works 60 hours a week and she's about 62 years old now so (laughs) she doesn't stop Dude. So, so like, it, like how, how can I stop? You know? No, oh, no. It sounds like you got badass running through your DNA, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. wow. Um, how did, uh, how'd you get started in the martial arts? Did, were you, were you always a martial arts guy or did you get in strictly to, to get into the cage? You want to do MMA right away or how did it start? Um, it started out as like just a joke. I was going to school, uh, for engineering, like I said, and we had curricular activities that we had to do. Like, um i just chose brazilian jiu-jitsu and i did that course it was like a three-month course um i did it like two or three times i was like man i just keep doing the same basics over and over like it's good now that you know it but at the time i'm like man i want to learn new stuff but like Mm -hmm. i think that's why i was so successful at it is because i did the basics for a year nonstop. i didn't learn anything over like the bare man bare minimums so my base was really strong um and then i found an mma gym and uh now this guy who's like, he's pretty much like my brother. Now, um, my buddy, Alex, he was the coach kind of like the head fighter there head fighter slash coach. Cause our coach is just a bad dude. Like not like in the cool way, but like just a terrible person. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, I just ended up spending all my time there when I could. And it was my way to like, just, I don't know, spend time around people and, uh, get out of like the drinking and partying. And, um, I guess I was doing really well and I was training with some guys who had some fights coming up and, like, I don't know, you always know, like, you don't talk about like what happens in training, but like, he's like, dude, like you're like rolling through these people and they have like title fights next week or in a couple of weeks, like they're undefeated. Like, why don't you fight? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't really like, wasn't my thought. 
And he's like, dude, you should. And I'm like, all right, sign me up. It was a complete joke. And then he comes in like a week or two later. Like, all right, man, I got you a fight in like three months. And I was like, I was kidding. Like, I wasn't serious. <laughs> and then from there on out, like, I just kept winning and kept doing them. And, you know, after one, it's addiction. So you just keep going. And I'm like, I mean, if I'm winning, why stop? And uh, yeah, that's, wow. it just took a life of its own again. Wow. How much jiu-jitsu had you done before your first fight? Um, if you count that first year um, where I was like at that, like it was a jiu-jitsu school. It was just part of like the college as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the coach teaching the class was like only a blue belt. Okay. Um, so it wasn't really like high level stuff. Yeah. Um, that plus maybe six months. <laughs> That's not much. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it was six months. Uh, and then yeah, our wrestling was terrible. Like looking back at the, like our main coach wrestling was terrible. I actually almost fought him as well. Our fight was set up because there was such like bad blood in the gym. And I was like, all right, man, I'll fight you. Like, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it would have been fun, but, um, yeah, it was good about wow. six months. So any previous wrestling experience or anything like that, or so no. you're okay. So you're like a year and a half into jujitsu and you decide to take a fight. Yeah, Have you it was done much stand up work or anything at that point. No, it was a really weird game. So we had done stand up, but then again, like our coach was he was such a jujitsu based guy, no stand up, his hands were terrible, his wrestling was worse. But Alex, he was like a kind of a boxer, and so, um, but it was different because Alex was five two and I'm six four, so it was like everything he's really good at is the opposite of mine. Sure. But in a way it almost worked because he was fighting at 125. I was really small at the time. Like I'm about like 220 now, 225. Um, I was walking around at about 170 and I fought at 155. So I was like a bean pole. Um, but if you think about it, like everybody I'm gonna fight at 155 is probably about five, five to five, ten. Right. So I'm six four. All they're gonna want to do is get in the pocket. Mm-hmm. So if I can keep a guy who's five two out of the pocket then I can keep anybody out of the pocket. So it really helped me perfect my jab, just keeping Alex out of the pocket as much as possible, which never helped. Like if you can tell my nose is permanently just crooked. Um, there's a lot of uppercuts in there, but um, yeah, it was, so it actually worked out pretty beneficially. Um, yeah. I just was, everybody wanted to get in and take me down and jujitsu was my game. So it's like, nobody wanted to stand and like throw hands with me because I was too tall. Yeah. So everybody's like, Oh, I need to wrestle him. And so they'd wrestle me. I would just pull guard as I did. Like mm-hmm. everybody hates that guy, but I'd pull guard and uh, yeah, I would just get a submission. Bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And then once I got my hands, it was just like, I don't know. It just ended up all coming together. Wow. Um, how many fights did you end up with? Uh, 10. 10 fights. All yeah. amateur. Or did you go pro? No, there was a lot of pro talk, but it just never came to. Um, it was nine and one and there was two title fights in there. So yeah. Wow. Um, and then how did that evolve from there? Did, why did you decide to stop fighting or what happened after that? I just got bored. Um, really? I just, I what loved you, it. What were you bored of? I'm curious because like, I, I kind of went through the same thing and I started getting bored of the gym, you know, just being inside. And as much as I love the guys I was training with all the time, it's like, man, it's like the same jokes and the same guys (laughs) and the same gym. And I just wanted to get outside and start getting some fresh air. Yeah. It was a, we, it was a small gym for us. It was just me and my buddy, Alex. Like we were the main, there was another kid coming up who was like, 
uh, he was probably 14 at the time or by the time it was probably 16 by the time like he was junior senior in high school and just absolute stud like he would take fights up in Washington because they would let kids fight and he would beat like 30 year olds at 14 um he was just one of those guys who's like age doesn't matter in the sport you know like he's just a stud and uh yeah exactly like little definition of prodigy um but uh he was kind of our third partner but at the time like we were grown up enough with enough skill and knew him that we knew how to just, like catch everything he was going for so it was basically just alex and i like we didn't have much people to like hang around it was just us um and we lived in the gym like it was 24 7 everything we did uh had to do with fighting and um i think that's what crafted my mindset now towards things uh but i just got bored with you know when you you have two people who go into a cage you have one person who's jacked up and like stomping the ground and then you have the other guy who just looks like did, did you ever watch a fedor emilienko oh yeah so that is what everybody compared me to when I walked in the cage. He looks like he's about to take a nap. Stoic. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can't... People were, yeah. Okay. And pe- yeah. people would come up and ask me after they're like, dude, it looks so sick. Like, it looks like you're like, you just woke up. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like this doesn't excite me. Like I love it. It's like a chess game. I freaking love it. I love talking about it. It's a passion, but like I'm in here to do a job mm-hmm. and my job is to try to kill you. The ref is going to pull me off at some point, but my job is to not have you kill me first. And like, that is what the mentality I went in with where it was like everything blacked out. The second the cage door shut, it blacked out. And my, I had one objective and that was it. Now I wouldn't be angry. I wouldn't be aggressive. Like I never went in with that mindset of like, I want to hurt you. It was more so to, I have to like finish you mm-hmm. in a nice gentle way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just, as time went on, it stopped blacking out and I stopped getting intense about it. And I remember there was one fight I took like on three days notice it was at 170 pounds and uh it was fine so i was that weight initially but i hadn't been training i was just like ah man i haven't fought in a while let's fight and one that was a big thing is like i respect the sport so much i hated guys who would come in without training and disrespect it i was like man i earn it like i'm in the gym 24 7 i earned this fight and i didn't like people disrespecting it and so i disrespected it by taking it on three days notice and not training i was like ah, i'm good i'll get it I lost rounds one and two and my buddy was like, dude, you are losing this fight. You have to finish it. And my manager was in the corner. My buddy Alex was in the corner and there's like, what is your, what is your guy doing? Alex? Like he's not doing anything. He's just laying there getting beat up. And I was like, yeah, I just wasn't awake. I just was not awake. I didn't care about it. I didn't care what happened. And I go back to the corner and they're like, all right, you need to win. Like you need to finish it. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then I get hit in the head one really good time and it woke me up. And I was like, oh shoot and uh i ended up uh submitting him with like 10 seconds or 20 seconds to go and at that point i was like i'm done man like i pulled it out because i needed to but like i just didn't care anymore um i think it played the role that it needed to play in my life at the time and i noticed a lot of brain damage coming from it um my stutter got worse like my thinking slowed down like i had really bad memory loss for like a long i still do um I just thought, man, it's time to pursue something new, something that like, I know I'm not safe. I think through that like crazy childhood and like the fighting, like I thought I was so unsafe at the time. And I'm like, this is the safest sport, man. Like there's someone to stop me. Like I want something more risky. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I do all these things where it's like, I don't know how it's going to go. Like I'm going to swim with sharks in a couple months and two <laughs> months. And like, I don't know how it's going to go. I think I, I'm just, I, I seek that adrenaline and that fear. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 man. Did you get <laughs> did you get many concussions through training or fight or actual fights or probably more than I could count. Really? <laughs> I okay. don't remember. I remember one fight I did get a really bad concussion. The only one that I can really, really remember where I went to go work at this pizza place after and I couldn't even I was like reading the thing as like pepperoni and I was like, all right, pepperoni. Pepperoni. And I'm like, I couldn't process it. I was like, what am I reading? What am I doing? And I was like, all right, this is bad. Mm. And my buddy Alex is such a dick. Um, I had another fight coming up and um, I had a concussion still. And I was like, man, I can't spar. I can come in. Like I can roll, I can roll and maybe wrestle lightly, but like, I don't want any shots to the head. He's like, okay, okay. And we have this buddy who just has like grenade. Like he's like uh, rumble Johnson back in the day where one hand and you're out. This is like our buddy. And we were like terrified to see him fight anybody because of it. And um, yeah, he, my buddy Alex messaged me like, hey man, like Mac was his name. He's like, hey, uh, Justin has a fight coming up. We need you to come in and spar. I'm like, I want you to try to take his head off. And I was like, I didn't know this. So I show up after the, after work from the pizza place in my uniform, I come in, put my shorts on, get in the cage. Mac tries to take my head off like literally tries to knock me out where like I like can't see my head like is trying to explode and I had a talk with Mac like a week or two weeks later he's like yeah dude I didn't know like that was wrong with you like Alex just told me to try to take your head off and I was like what don't we get about this man like concussions are real and it's I think so dangerous point, yeah I think at that point he was so gung-ho on the we're gonna try to like toughen up and I'm like dude this is like a medical emergency not like a Oh, I'm just being a baby. And so, yeah, at that point it was like, man, I had so many concussions. I probably was just punch drunk by then. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's really dangerous, man. And really yeah, man. common amongst fighters. How yeah. did, um, so once you decided to stop fighting, did you, did that evolve right into endurance sports right away? Or what was that process like? Um, I just started traveling the world a lot and every now and then I'd come back into the States and I do like jujitsu tournaments cause I still loved it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that was the same thing. I would just show up hungover and I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to do it. And, uh, end up, I don't know. I'm just a dummy, but, uh, <laughs> I just kept going back to them. I love them. I absolutely love them. And it wasn't intense because I knew I wasn't going to get hurt because yeah. it's not fighting. I have fought like right. this is, there's no punches being thrown. Um, so I just started traveling the world. I started kind of going to, uh, like different MMA gyms around the world, like, in bali amsterdam like southeast asia like just going to different ones and like having nice. fun and like learning new things and realizing man like there's so much to it out there and uh didn't get into endurance sports until like probably uh probably like three or four years ago okay okay yeah and what prompted that were you was it inspiration from somebody else or something else or like how did you first get into mm -hmm. endurance sports I want to say 2000, actually it was like 2019 was when it started because I had got back from some trip. I think what started was 2018. I had planned to like walk across Africa and I wanted to do like 26 miles a day. It would take me probably like a year and a half or so. And, um, you know, I remember some girl in, in Egypt was like a 26 miles. That's a marathon. You know, that's really far. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, have you ever ran one? They're really tough. And I just shot her a screenshot of my 24, my hundred miles in 24 hours. I was like, Hey, remember that conversation we had in Cairo like four years ago? And she's like, you're a dick. And I'm like, I, I remember everything someone says to me. And um, so I think that's like where my endurance started is I wanted to start doing really long adventures. And so 
that didn't go as planned. Uh, that's a whole nother story. Ended up getting kidnapped. Um, in Africa? But, yeah, in Egypt. I got kidnapped for about four days, three, four no days. No way. No way. Yeah, I, then I got deported. And so okay. that's it. So well, I, didn't I got to hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, to back to, we'll go to that one. But 2019, I just started doing, you know, I was like, I want to, you know, I want to do some big stuff. I want to like ride a bike around for, you know, 200 miles for charity. Um, cause I had a friend who was doing one in Europe called cycle for Gaza, where it's like across like 400 kilometers across four countries. And I'm like, well, I can't sign up for that cause it's too late. So I'll do something like that here. I realized I loved it. I did that on the tandem bike with my buddy Alex again. Um, and then after that did a triathlon with like a 90 pound hammer. So one month, the next month, then the next month I pulled a car for a marathon. Um, you know, so like you're raising money throughout all these events. Yeah, just the first one was for a cycle for Gaza with the bike. The second one was kind of a hybrid between that and my buddy who I also met in Egypt. Uh, he was from Palestine and he had like a once in a life opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity to go to school um, in Canada and he needed the money to get like his first year. So I was like, all right, man, I'm going to try to raise $8,000 for you. So the triathlon with the hammer was for him and then it didn't get enough. So I was like, well, I'll pull a car for a marathon. And so that took me 17 hours to do and uh, did that the next month. And um, eventually we got the money for him to go to school. And then, yeah, that's kind of summer 2019 was that big year that kind of got me going. Um, at the end of that month, I ended up walking across Madagascar um, and that was for the African Wildlife Foundation. And then February of 2020, I did uh, 24 hours of like, you know, like CrossFit, like the hero wads. Mm -hmm. I did one every hour on the hour for 24 hours for a uh, leukemia and lymphoma society. And I was like partnered with like the fire department and Ben. So I just started like that, like six, eight month period was just like adventure after adventure after adventure. And I just like, I got crazy with it. I just loved those long endurance hours and realized I think Madagascar is, I realized the like solitude that you go through and seeing that and running now is like, man, like you really go to some dark places and those are the dark places I like, you know, like back in fighting, it's like, you go to those dark places sometimes where there's only one way to go and that's getting up. You have to get up or you're going to lose and like, or you're going to die. Uh, that's the thing in life with everything else. You have to get up. Yeah. 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 It sounds like you've got that inside of you, man. Like you just have to get up. Like there is no quit in you. It sounds like that just runs through you. And uh, I love it, man. I love it. But let's go back, man. Um, a triathlon with a hammer. Explain yeah. that to me. <laughs> so um, as you can tell the hair. Um, yeah, you look like Thor. The, yeah, exactly. So I was working <laughs> at a gym and uh, everybody kept calling me Thor. And actually around Egypt too, I got Thor everywhere. And they're like, oh, Thor, Thor, Thor. And I was like, all right. And I got to a gym and someone's like, oh, you should do a triathlon with a, um, with a trident because of the water. And I was like, well, why not a hammer if everybody calls me Thor? Yeah. And I was like, they're like, my buddy at the time, he's like, man, I'll make you one. And he worked in construction. So he made me a cement hammer and that was 90 pounds. So Jeez. 92, that was <laughs> awful. That was so bad. <laughs> Yeah. Um, sprint triathlon or what was the distance on that Olympic? So Olympic. it was like, okay, yeah, that's legit. 
Yeah. <laughs> 90 pound hammer. So I'm just picturing you're swimming with a 90 pound hammer, you're biking yep. with a 90 pound hammer and then running with a 90 pound hammer. Okay. Yeah. I'm just picturing it and it sounds a little crazy. Yeah. It was the sketchiest. I was going downhill um, on the bike. The bike was 12 miles up and 12 miles down. And um, I think that was the distance for Olympic and uh, it was back in 2019. So um, I'm not a big triathlon person, surprisingly. <laughs> so uh, the, both the, I was riding the bike from my buddy, who's 5'2", Alex. I was riding his bike, 6'4", on a 5'2 bike. It looks like a clown bike. <laughs> yeah. I popped both tires going downhill. <laughs> and I just was like white knuckled, like squeezing it. Like, please do not. I could not budge. If I would have flinched, it, it would have fishtailed and I would have I died. Yeah. So that was like, man, this was not fun. <laughs> brutal and 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 the funny thing is like nobody showed up for that like a lot of these i've been alone for um people just have lives man like i crossed the finish line and nobody's there like everybody started packing up and going home because i was so far behind you know really okay the race director's like we don't want to do this like that's too dangerous like if someone's behind you and it falls and i'm like first off no one should be behind me if i have 92 pounds on my back <laughs> like <laughs> i should be in dead last and uh so I was like, listen, you can either let me in your race or I'm going to do it anyways, because you don't own the land. And she's like, all right, fine. We'll let you do it. And she was so adamant. I wasn't going to finish. And I remember still remember that to this day, walking across that finish line, across this field, she like saw me in the distance and it looked, she like turned pale. Like she saw a ghost and she's like, you're still here. And I'm like, yep, told you I was going to do it. And she's just like, honestly, like, I like, it was so cool. She, I need a picture. Like, this is so freaking cool. And I'm like, I like it. Like, this is the thing I told you I was going to finish it. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. And then that, uh, evolved into the walk across Madagascar or was there one in between those? The, the, the carpool was after that. Oh, the carpool. Okay. And so you pulled the car for the length of a marathon, 26.2 yeah. miles. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> what inspired that one? That's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know. I just felt like one, I, I've still have never ran, a, I've never ran a legit marathon to this day still. <laughs> okay. Um, I've never just stopped at 26.2 and I wasn't a big, you fight, like you run maybe like five miles, maybe at most, yeah. like maybe for an hour and that's it. Um, so I just like, why not make this harder? Why not make this? I've always liked strength. I've always liked lifting. So I was like, why not make this as tough as possible and pull a car? And, uh, I contacted everybody. Nobody would let me do it. It was too dangerous. I contacted racetracks, airports, private airports, cause we have a ton in Bend, Oregon. And I had people, I, people wouldn't answer their phones. Cause I found them like in the directory online. And I was like, I'm going to go out to their property. I had guns pulled on me being like, why are you out here? Cause they have like these long driveways that like you have to snake through. So they had cameras and they must've came out and be like, what are you doing on our property? And they had like a gun in their car with them, like in their hands. And they're like, you need to go off our property. I'm like, hear me out. And, uh, no, nothing worked. So I ended up just doing it on my, uh, my street outside my court mm-hmm. in Oregon. We live kind of like five miles out of town in the country ish. So I just kept doing it up and down my street. And it was a mile, mile down and a mile back. Wow. 26 times and it took what'd you say like 17 hours yeah like 17 and a half hours or something no kidding yeah and you raised a bunch of money i'm guessing yeah yes yeah, so that was a cool one that was wow. fun it was nice to be able to hit the goal for uh for kamal that's cool and then and then it was madagascar is that when you yeah. got kidnapped 
Yeah, no, that was so Madagascar is uh, August, end of August into September 2019, and um, getting kidnapped was uh, June or something like spring of 2018. 18. Okay, I got to hear about the kidnapping. Yeah, where, <laughs> that was in Egypt, or where did you say that was? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was in Egypt. Okay, <laughs> tell so me, I, I got to hear I, this. So I had, I had uh, talked to one person who's walked across Egypt uh, or walked across Africa initially. He actually just finished right when I started, which I was like, dang it, now I can't be the first. <laughs> um, so he did south to north and I was going north to south. So I guess you can be first that way if you talk about like FKTs. Um, a lot of people cycle it. It's called like the tour to Africa, but um, cycling is a lot different. And once I look into cycling groups, uh, talk to this guy who also walked it and then Levison Wood, who walked the length of the Nile, um, he, everybody had said, when you get to Egypt, Egypt is the hardest place to get through. The government is brutal. Like they do not want you outside of Cairo or tourist areas. Um, and so I had started up North, um, along Alexandria, along the, like the Mediterranean or whatever. I wanted to go coast to coast, which would be the longest. Um, and so, yeah, I started out my walk, started, I spent about a month in Egypt. Like I just loved it. I loved Cairo. I loved going on like tours and stuff and out to the deserts. And then I was like, and also I think partly scared to like start, yeah. but, um, I ended up going back up to Alexandria, starting off my way, made my way through Cairo again and was about, I'd say like a hundred miles South of Cairo maybe. And, um, oh, I forget where I was at, but, um, Oh, as Benny Souf or Benny Sweef, whatever. But, um, I would, I'd walk during the night because the days were like 110. Mm. Right. And so I walked during the night and I would sleep at, during, at like gas stations. And eventually, cause they have like people live at the gas stations and they'd be like, Oh, Hey, and they'd wake me up with breakfast. Like whatever time I wanted to have food, they would just wake me up with food. Couldn't speak any of the same language. Like the people were the most hospitable in the world. And that was my whole point of my journey is I wanted to show that like through all my other travels, like, Hey, people around the world are actually extremely nice. They're not what the media builds it up to be. And it, like, it's a really hard push now when people are like, yeah, but didn't you get kidnapped? I'm like, yeah, but that was by like, the government is so corrupt in that country and everybody knows it. But the people there are so unbelievably nice. Nice, Like even the cop who was like, eventually took me to like the airport, he was like crying and like hugged me when I left because mm -hmm. he like hated that I was getting deported. But um, I made it to this gas station um, one day and what happened? Uh, I was just sleeping. They, they let me shower and everything. And, um, I wake up and there's like a military truck outside kind of, or so it looked like. And I basically was like, Oh, okay, well, I'm going to start walking. And they kept wanting to see my passport. But I'm like, I'm not giving you my passport. This is like my gold. That's my like golden ticket. No one's seen, no one's touched my passport. And, um, they're like, oh, okay, no, we have to take you to this next town. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'll walk there. Like I'll get there in a couple hours. And they're like, no, you have to get in the car. And I'm like, I'm not getting in the car. Like, my whole point is to walk. And they're like, where are you walking? And I was like, I'm walking to, um, I forget the town. And there's like a next town, uh, uh, Luxor, which is like another big tourist area, which is only like 80 miles away. And so at least that's like, I'm not going to tell them I'm going to walk to South Africa. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's like, if you met somebody in New York and they're like, hey, I'm going to walk to Brooklyn, but first I'm going to go walk to San Francisco first. They'd be like, <laughs> no, you're not. That's yeah. the distance from Africa, north to south is the distance from east to west to east. So um, I was like, I'm walking to Luxor. Like um, they didn't, they wouldn't let me. Eventually they're like, get in. No, yes, no. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll get in. 
and they kept driving me, like handing me off from place to place. Um, I'm trying to think of how it really went now. It's been so long. I've told the story so many times, but uh, it's such a blur, like when it comes to it, because eventually I convinced them to let me walk, but they were super nice. Like they would give me hotel rooms for the night. Like one night they gave me a hotel room and I was like, okay, cool. Like we'll be able to go. Like they'll let me walk in the morning. Fuck, I got this all mixed up now. But um, during the day, they'd make me walk. They'd be like, once they drove me outside the city limit, they'd be like, all right, you're going to keep walking. And I'm like, can I put my bag in the car then? Like, I don't even want to walk during the day. They're like, no, just walk. And I'm like, all right, I have no water. They won't let me stop. And it's pretty much like slave driving me. Like their car is just behind me. And every time I stopped, they'd be like, no, you need to keep going. And there'd be like five people in the truck with AKs. And I'd be like, I guess I'm getting what I wanted, but like, not really. And there's little checkpoints along the roads where like, once you get to another like locality and they would hand me off at each checkpoint and every checkpoint got worse and worse and worse. Like the treatment, some, some would let me like hop in the truck for a second and get shade. The water was a rarity at all, all, all times. And I wasn't really ever sure what was going on. Like things got the vibe and like feeling got more aggressive with each one. Um, and I don't know why they were handing me off. I guess they can't like go to the next area. So I felt like it was military, but the further South you go, the more kind of like rogue it felt or like wild, wild West. Mm-hmm. And then it came night and they're like, all right, uh, we're going to put you up for the night. We'll go get dinner. They, I have this picture where they cleared out a whole restaurant and I'm like in the back of the restaurant. They have like a security line in the front of the restaurant. I have a picture of it. And, um, they're just like, I ended up getting food poisoning from that food, but, um, it was cool. Like I thought they were nice to me. I'm like, man, they're buying me dinner. They're making sure nobody bugs me. And then they get back in the car and put me in the back of the truck and we start driving. They put me up in a hotel and I'm like, can I go get some water down the street? And they're like, no, we'll go get it for you. They put me up in this hotel room. And they're like, what time are you leaving in the morning? And I'm like, probably nine. I'll leave at 9am. My thought was I was going to leave at seven, but I'd be out before they were, mm-hmm. they'd get, they'd show up at nine. I look out my window and I have another picture of it looking outside the shades and there's like a police or like military convoy waiting for me at like all night. And I'm like, I'm not getting rid of these guys. And so basically they put me in the car and drive me to the outside of town. So they never let me walk through town. They only let me walk through the desert part. So I'm wondering if they're like, that was for like my safety of like, and people wouldn't be able to see me. Um, Because if like you're a white person, in Africa and you get killed, it's headline news. Like mm-hmm. it is huge. Um, and that's basically what like we went to a wedding up north Egypt with like just friends that we had met. And then we had actually gone to a the church where they got married and they altered our passports and everything. And they're like, oh, because there was a bombing at this church like a couple of years ago and uh three white people were killed. And like that was the headline news was three white people. So they don't want you guys to be on the news. Like if you guys get killed, you guys are killed. There's no passports. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, uh, I think that was the whole thing about not letting me walk through town. And it just, once again, got more and more aggressive. Um, was it? There's, was another day. We, one day I wanted to camp by the road. They wouldn't let me put me in another hotel. And I'm like, I can't really tell like where we're friends at. Like you guys are giving me a lot of accommodations, but then you're not giving me any food or water. I'm really, really sick. And we had gotten to this like checkpoint 
and eventually it just went downhill. Like this guy took my passport, the head of the, the head of the checkpoint took my passport, wouldn't give it back to me. I was really sick at this point, like throwing up and I'm like laying on the side of the road and he just like, nobody cares. They're all kind of laughing at me. And I'm like really fucking angry now. Cause like I'm hungry, I'm sick. I know I can handle dehydration from cutting weight, but like mm-hmm. you bounce back because people give you food. Right. If you guys finally let me go, I don't, I know I don't have the energy to go get food and water. Like right. I know I'm dead. Yeah. And if this prolongs till tomorrow, then I, I know my, my clock is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And, uh, I kept trying to just like rationalize with them. And I'm like, no, just let me go. And they're like, do you want to go to the ATM? And I, then I didn't know it. They were trying to bribe me for my freedom. Mm. I didn't know that looking back on it. I do now. Then I thought they were just asking me if I had money to buy food. And so now I'm like, Oh, they wanted a bribe, which I would have done it if that was the case. Um, and obviously they have my passport and I'm thinking at times, like, what if I stole one of their guns and like fought that, like I probably do pretty well, but like, there's too many of them. Like (laughs) there's like a lot of them. And I'm like, I can't do it. Um, there's one point we were driving in the car and to go through one of the towns, uh, they put me in the car and they put like an AK in, in between my legs. And I was like, oh man, like one of the boys, I'm like elbowing them. And it was just a weird feeling. Like I have an AK in my hand. I'm like, I don't know if we're going through a sketchy area or like, is it just because like, you need someone to hold it? And like, you know, I'm not going to do anything in the car. Um, but yeah, it was really funny, man. I tried keeping a good spirit about all of it. Like I am now, but it was really confusing about what was really going on. And like, who are they like my friends or not? And uh, I spent like a full day at that checkpoint with this guy who was just being a dick. And before I left Cairo, somebody gave me the number for the embassy and I had called the embassy. It was like, Hey, like this is kind of going on right now. Like I haven't ate in a couple of days. Like I haven't drank in a day. Like I'm, I'm really, really hurting. And they kept wanting my phone. The guy at the checkpoint was like, Hey, give me your phone. I'm like, not touching my phone, but nobody would ever lay hands on me. They would like, when I'd walk past them, they would like butt me with their guns as like a joke, but like nobody would ever touch me. And I don't know why, like, I think that's what really crosses the line is like, you know, physical threat. Because then when I talked to the embassy, the chick was like, she, oh, I hated her. She was like, um, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, doing what? Like, why are you walking across Africa? And I'm like, does that really matter right now? Like, mm-hmm. I'm here. Things are happening. Let's get out. Let's figure this out. And she was like, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, again, why does this matter? And I was like, I was like, yes, I have. I walked across Central Africa, Central America and she's like, oh, I haven't. I just didn't want her to be right. I was being very stubborn. <laughs> and um, she's like, why are you alone? And I'm like, they have guns. Would it matter if I had five friends? They have guns. Yeah. And she's like, well, we can't do anything because they haven't hurt you. And I'm like, so I have to wait to get hurt in order to call you and get help. And she's like, yeah, because it would be an international incident if you, if you did. Like, you know, so I was like, just give me someone else to talk to. I'm done talking to you. And eventually I start texting. I have a couple of texts with this guy from the embassy. He was super cool. We stayed in touch after because he like wanted to check in and see how I was, but he was really helpful. And there was a really funny moment where I'm like sitting in the office with like the head guy and I'm talking to the embassy and they're like, just give him the phone. Like, we'll talk to him. We'll see what's going on. All right, fine. So I, ha- I go to him and phone. Hey man, they want to talk to you. He doesn't really speak English. And he's like, no, no talk. And I'm like, he doesn't want to talk to you. And they're like, no, just give him it. He'll talk. And I'm like, you don't know him. He, he won't talk. And <laughs> he like, he keeps denying it. I'm like, listen, guys, he doesn't like you. Like, he does not want to talk to you. I know him better than you do. And there's, and he just would not. And it was the funniest banter back and forth. 
And um, eventually uh, I went and laid out in the middle of the street where the traffic was, because there's still traffic coming through a checkpoint. Yeah. And so I go out, I lay in the middle of the street and um, they're like yelling at me. They're like, no, 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 no. Like get out of the street, but they won't touch me. And so they put orange barricades around me and I'm like, son of a bitch. So I was <laughs> like, I just, I like scooted my way, like crawled my way outside of the barricade back into the middle of the street. And they're like, no. And they kept getting really angry. They're like little like army ants. They were like always like scattering around me when they didn't like what I was doing. And uh, finally this, you could tell what government cars look like because they'd have the flags in the front, the officials. And there's one van coming through and they were going really slow. So like when I say I threw myself on the hood, like it was going slow. And so I saw, it, I got up, I got the energy threw myself on the hood and the guy got out and he ended up being like the chief of the, uh, the town, like the big town next to it. Uh, he ended up being the chief of like the police. And so basically he rescued me, got my passport back. Like they argued a bunch. Um, and then got in the van and took me back to the police station. I was there till about like one in the morning where they like, they brought me dinner. They brought me like soda. They brought a, an interpreter to kind of get my story and then we went and saw the um, attorney general at like one or two in the morning. And like, they drive me up to this, up to this big town. We go into this huge government, like dark pitch black building has no lights on in it. We walk past a bunch of like a uh, bunch of Africans, like all handcuffed and chained together. I was wondering if they were like coming over the border from Sudan and they got caught, but basically I bypassed the whole entire line of people chained together. And I go right into the attorney general's office and I'm like, what's up, man? Like, <laughs> I don't really know what's going on. And he's like, all right, just tell me about it. So I go over it with him. He's super cool. Like, I think we're all buddy, buddy. He speaks pretty good English. He's in a cool suit. I don't know why he's up at one in the morning, but he was. He's like, we don't sleep here. Um, he said, all right, we're just going to have like a quick, like little mock trial just to figure out what's going on. If you want to press charges, it'll be myself, his assistant and the interpreter. And um, I say this all boring part because then it just gets better. I'm sitting in the chair and they're talking. I put my phone on uh, record because I want, they're talking Arabic and I want to hear, and I want to know what they're saying afterwards. So I'm sitting there in the chair, my sweaty, dirty clothes that like haven't been washed. I showered a couple of days ago, like four days ago, but like dirty clothes, smelly, grimy, everything. They're in really nice suits. And I like, I raise my hand. All of a sudden, like, all of a sudden you hear me on the thing. Like, oh, oh, And I like raise my hand. I'm like, excuse me. Like, can I go to the bathroom? I think I just shit myself. And they're like, what? And I was like, I think I shit myself. Can I go to the bathroom? And like, I stand up and the guy who like is his assistant is like this young, like good looking dude, like clearly we're at different points in our, our life, probably the same age, very different points. And he's in a nice, like four piece button up suit. And I'm like this grimy backpacker who just shit my pants. And I go into the bathroom. There's no bathroom stalls. The, the guard is watching me the whole time. I like get naked at the sink and I'm like, they don't have uh, paper towels. So I'm literally wiping my butt with my hand and I'm like telling him to turn away. I'm like, dude, can you like turn away? And he's just standing there looking at me. And I'm like, you see what I'm about to do. Like, this is going to get very, very graphic. <laughs> and he's just like staring at me. All right, man, this is your fault, not mine. And so I clean myself up. I've got used to that like method of cleaning myself over the years and like over the time there, like what traveling in some countries, but um, I like rinse off my underwear. I don't put it back on, but it was like dripping in my hand wet. And when I go back to go into the office, I put it over the banister of like the staircase because I don't want to bring it back into the room. 
Yeah. That's just, that's gross. And so I put over the thing. He's like, no, bring it. And I'm like, no, man, like that's disgusting. And he's like, no, bring it. And I'm like, yeah, it'll be out in five minutes. He's like, no, bring it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I carry it like just a, just a sad looking child carrying my like soggy underwear back into this courtroom. I sit down on the chair and just have to look everybody in the eyes. Like I'm a full grown adult that just pooped my pants <laughs> and I have like, and I'm just looking at them and um, basically they say, I'm all good. They're like, all right, man, you're good. You can, uh, we will let you go tomorrow. We'll drive you to Luxor, which wasn't ideal, but at least I can continue on my journey. Uh, this wasn't my choice to get stopped there, but um, yeah, we're all good. And they're like, but the issue is we don't know where to put you for the night because no hotels are safe. Again, this whole thing about my safety in public. And I'm like, why don't I just sleep at the police station where I did a second ago? They're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. So they're like, as long as you're okay with that. So I go back to the police station. They put me in this back office. It's now like three in the morning. They hated me. This guy comes in, changes the light bulbs at three in the morning. And I'm like, you are a dick. And um, (laughs) didn't sleep. They woke me up at like the crack of dawn. Uh, put me in a blacked out van and drove me. And I looked at my phone and I was going North and I'm like, where are we going, dude? And uh, this guy who ended up becoming like buddies with this cop who we just kept using Google translate. Um, he's like, we're going to Cairo. We're going to go see the president. And I'm like, this wasn't what I planned. I thought we were going South. And they're like, no, we just have to go to Cairo really quick. And then like, I thought we were just getting things aired out and then we'd go back. And then, no, eventually I go and bypass the whole line in Cairo and uh, the like the president, like the government building and uh, basically go right into the president's office. And he's like, all right, you need to get the first flight out of the country. And I'm like the first and he's like, ah, no, no, like tomorrow, the next day, the next day, like it doesn't matter. You just need to leave. And I'm like, I thought I was good. And they're like, no. And I was like, so I'm getting deported. And he's like, no, you just have to leave. I'm like, That's deported. And he's like, no, he's got to leave. I was like, all right, fine. I'll go like, okay, fine. So I booked my ticket for like five days later. So I was like, I'll go stay at the hostel I was staying at. I'll recover. I'll recoup. I'll be all good. Nope. I buy my ticket. We go to the airport and they put me in like a cell underneath the airport. And they're like, this is where you're going to wait for five days. And I was like, nobody told me this. You guys said I was good. And they're like, no, this is where you have to wait. So we know you don't run. And I was like, change of plans my flight is in six hours i bought i bought a last minute ticket it cost me like 1500 bucks and i was like my flight is in a couple hours like i need to get out of here and so yeah they ended up uh sending me home and um not by my choice i wanted to go to sudan but they wouldn't let me and they wouldn't let me go to spain and they let me go to san francisco so uh ended up getting home and had the had the audio transcribed and they thought i was a uh, i was an international spy they thought I was there as a, like the attorney general and the translator thought I was a spy. No kidding. So that was my time. Dude, that's terrifying. <laughs> now I don't know if I can go back. I've, I've called the embassy and be like, Hey man, can I go back? And they're like, you can apply and you might be accepted, but when you go, your, your passport might be flagged and you might be arrested. And I'm like, there's an adventure. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Put that one on the list for yeah. a couple years down the road. I don't know if I'm allowed back. So that was wow. like, kidnapped. Wow. That is really scary. Yeah. I'd like, yeah. I mean, when you're in a foreign country and they just take you away, take your passport, take your phone and they're telling you what to do and where to stay. That is, that is next level scary, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. I was, I thought Madagascar would be a little bit riskier, but uh, yeah. But after hearing everybody, everybody has problems in Egypt, like getting through just so it happens. I got caught. 
So okay. yeah. just gotta be sneakier next time. Wow. <laughs> so it sounds like throughout all of this, you aren't necessarily like Mr. Cardio machine. You're not like Mr. Endurance. Like this is what I'm alive for type of thing. Like I love to go out and run 20 to 40 miles every single day. It sounds like you're just like almost doing this stuff to raise money, to bring awareness to, to certain issues. Um, is that the case? I mean, are you more just trying to raise money and bring awareness to these things rather than uh, go out and be Mr. David Goggins and run yeah. five, 200 milers in a year or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I think in fighting, I always had good cardio. Everybody knew me for cardio, but um, now it's like, I just, my thing is just to not give up. Um, yeah. You know, we never talked about the whole suicide attempts, but like, as I said before in life, it's all about getting up. Like, I just will not give up. And that's why I want like the moral of the story to be for like, there's the people who I try to raise money for the people who don't have an option. Like I have an option every day about when I start this triathlon or when I start a 200 mile race or a hundred mile race, like we have the option to give up. Like we have the option that I'm hurt. I'm done. I'm stopping. Like, but there's so many people out there in the world that don't have that option. Um, my mom didn't have that option to stop. She had to keep fighting, get up, or she wasn't going to make it. Um, Kamal, who lives in Palestine, which is a, clearly a war-torn country, like, he doesn't have the option to just not try today. Like, the, today might be your last day. He knows people, his family members have died. Like, your day, their, their day, their very last day is possibly very near or has a lot more possibility of ours. And I want to, like, bring awareness to those people who, like, don't have the option that they have to keep fighting uh, we have the luxury, we have the luxury of giving up. If we want, people don't have the luxury. Their lug, their, their consequence of giving up is dying. Our consequence of giving up is like not getting a medal and getting a DNF. So, um, that's just a message that I want to relay is like, are you in pain or are you just uncomfortable? Because I think most of us, most of us just know one being uncomfortable, like mm -hmm. everything is fixable. We can keep fighting. Yeah. Tell me about the suicide attempt. How old were you when that happened? Um, that was kind of what I said, like, uh, you know, after all the work and everything kind of calmed down. Um, and I finally got to like focus on myself after I stopped working and being so caught up with everything. Um, it's about 18, um, back to back nights. Um, I didn't realize how much my story resonated with, uh, or not resonated, but aligned with Caleb's mm -hmm. about, um, like I said, my mom didn't take any of her medication. And so, uh, I took all of her medication. She hadn't stocked up for years some of like the most intense painkillers you could have. Like she had the hookup on all of it. And uh, so, yeah, I just, one night I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a bunch. Like I'm tired of being part of this life. I didn't choose it. I didn't choose to be in it. Why should I choose to be in it still? Like I didn't have the choice to come into this. I should have the choice to leave. Like I haven't lived a fun life. This life sucks. And that's why spurred on all my traveling around the world um, after that point was that, you know, I needed to discover like, I used to be a happy kid growing up. And I think a lot of like my friends, parents would say that, like, I always loved life growing up and I always loved having fun. And somewhere along the line with like growing up and my brother and my dad and my mom, all those accidents, um, like kind of stole that from me. And, um, I just hated life. So I ended up just taking all her medicine or most of it. And, um, as you can see, I guess like dying doesn't really run in my family. <laughs> um, my brother's overdosed over a dozen times and my mom should have been dead and my dad should be dead too, but he's not after how many years of cancer and everything and dying just doesn't run in my family. I always make the joke, like 
I'm that one who's going to like stub my toe and die. Like they got all the really tough genes and I'm the one who's going to be like the weak link. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess, uh, I just woke up the next morning really, really sick, uh, ended up throwing up and whatnot, but like nothing too serious. And so I was like, well, that was a failed attempt. I failed a lot of stuff in my life. I've given up a lot of stuff early. I give up on myself before I have the chance of failure. So I have an excuse of why I failed you know, oh, I failed because I stopped, not because I wasn't good enough. I think a lot of us do that. I think that's why I like to do these things that nobody's done because it's all on me to finish and I'm going to finish it no matter what. Um, I hold myself to that because I used to not finish things in life. I used to just give up on myself. And so anyways, I failed that first attempt and I was like, well, I'm going to try again. So I tried the next night, but with different things. And the same thing happened. And I'm like, you know what? There's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why my mom still made it. There's a reason why my brother still made it. Like, I have a purpose here and like, I need to find it. And there was something that I said when I was eight years old that like, everybody asked like who you, what you want to be when you grow older. And like, I just had said, like, I want to make one person's life change for the better. And I said, I was like eight years old. And my mom told me that. And I was like, that's my purpose. So let's make it happen. And from 18 on, like, I decided that that was my purpose again. And that's all I want to do now with doing these challenges. I want to like change the world for one person. And hopefully maybe that's a very egotistical way to think that I even have the strength and the possibility to do that. But if I can make one, if I, my story can help one person today to get up tomorrow and not end it tonight, then like, I'm going to keep fighting for that one person because I wish I would have had somebody fighting for me like that. So sharing my story is something that I hope people can be like, damn, man, like, and it did, like, there was a kid who came in the MMA gym who had the same story as me, thought I was the typical adult who was like, no, nah, man, I get it. I've been there. And we've all been there. We hear adults say that and we're, we're kids. We know better than everybody. Like, you know, and I was like, listen, man, I'm going to tell you everything that I think you're thinking. And I told him and he's like, dude, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, how, how, how do you know that? I was like, cause that's what I'm thinking right now. I think every day. And he's like, dude, your life seems so sick. You travel all the time. You go to these countries, you come back and you train and fight and you go to these countries. Like your life seems so sick. You love it. I'm like, yeah, but like, I've had to work for it, man. Like I didn't give up. And like, you're thinking about ending your life. Like, I'm just telling you, like, whatever you, you think my life is, I want you to find your equivalent. Like, you know, my life is where your life was. I just found something that made me like passionate again about living. Like, I want you to do the same. And when the, when the 16 year old you comes into your life, like you came into mine, I want you to repay the favor and like, keep him going, you know? So I think you're about just giving back and like, strengthening the youth coming up and giving them an outlet where if you ever need me, call me, man, like I'm always there. And I want you to be there for somebody else who's coming up and struggling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just all these are about just giving back. Yeah. Well, at a certain point that gets to be what it's all about, you know, us as athletes, you know, at, there's a, there's a time in our life when we're doing stuff for us, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I want to be this guy, or I want to be the guy that does that thing or whatever. And then eventually it changes. It's like, I, I want to help other people do that thing because yeah. that was a great moment in my life. And I want yes. other people to have that great moment, you know? So it's, you, you got to pass it on. You got to share it. hundred um, percent. So what, I had a kind of a similar experience. I had sort of a near death experience in my early twenties. And then 
when I sort of woke up from that, I realized like I had this new zest for life. I like, I looked around and thought, man, like I, I, I tasted death, right? Like I was on death's door. I was close, but I lived. And then I had this new zest for life, but I couldn't quite explain it. Like I knew I wanted to go out and do big things with my life and do things to a point where I could like influence and inspire other people. But at the time I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like. I had no, I wasn't really into running or anything at that time. But um, is that how it was for you? Like, was it, was it an immediate switch? Like, like one day we're suicidal and then we survive it. And then the next day we have this new zest for life or what, what was the switch there? I don't think it was immediate. I think my first switch hit once I like went on my first trip, I bought a one-way ticket, like on the other side of the world. And like, I realized like, man, like I love life again. Like I love the excitement of it and everything being new and, I just got to refocus on myself. So I don't think it was immediate, but exactly kind of what you said is like, I just want to do big things and, you know, find what makes me happy. And what makes me happy isn't what makes what isn't what makes everybody else happy. Just like this triathlon doesn't have to be what somebody has to do to like help other people or to help themselves, but find your equivalent of it. Traveling doesn't have to be your thing, but find your equivalents and do big things. And like, if you fail, that's okay. Like, find the next thing, you know, like fighting wasn't my thing. Like I tried it. I did a big thing. Like I went in, I shut the cage door. It was fun for a little bit and then it stopped being fun. So I, I stopped and now I pivoted and I found something new and then traveling. I pivoted and I found ultra sports, like find big things, latch onto them. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, just pivot and do a new thing. Like yeah, it's fun. That's life. Totally. So find yeah. the passion. Don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. You know, yes. it's kind of the same with me. Like I, I did the fighting thing and it was fun for a while and it, it took me to the next level, spiritually, mm-hmm. mentally, physically. And then I was ready to move on to the next thing, you know, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, with reinventing yourself. Or if you decide that triathlons aren't for you, you t- choose another sport, you know, I mean, that's really what it's all about. And, and, yeah. and yeah, no, I love that, man. So all right, man. So I'm guessing you haven't done a lot of ultra marathons or a lot of ultra endurance races. It sounds like most of the stuff you're doing is just kind of like on your own. Yeah, I did. Um, I signed up for a hundred miler in November, um, okay. of last year, which, one? um, uh, Valley of fire. Okay. Um, Where's that? um, in the, just like an hour East of Vegas. Okay. Um, I had a bunch of buddies running it and they were doing it in support of my, uh, triathlon. So I was like, well, if you guys are going to suffer for me, I'm going to low key sign up and not tell everybody last minute. And so I showed up at the start line about two hours before it happened. And, uh, yeah, she showed up, ran hundred miles and that was my first official run, nice. uh, was that one. And that was awesome. Like loved it. Um, and then signed up for another one a month later. Um, it was, I forget what it was supposed to be. It, they've never done it but they keep bringing it up and always gets put off. Um, it was in San Diego. It was around, I can't remember what it was supposed to be. Um, but then it didn't happen. And it was supposed to be a 24 hour one, like 124 hours. So, uh, Hector and I, um, Mm -hmm. I was down there with them, uh, training and whatnot. And so he's like, I'll do it with you. So we went to, we found, we went and found a park, um, roar park in San Diego and ran a hundred miles in 24 hours. So that was my second one, but it was supposed to be registered, but then that came canceled. But I was like, I, I said I was going to do it, so I'm going to do it. So, yeah, yeah um, that was the second one. 
So you've got a couple hundreds under your belt. Yeah, now I do. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, when are you planning on doing this humongous triathlon? Do you have a date set? May 1st. May 1st. Okay. Yep. I hop on the boat. I sleep on the boat April 30th. I sleep on the boat, wake up and dive okay. in. Okay. Um, what boat? Like why, why, why are you sleeping on a boat? What's that all about? Um, I just want to be able to be in the water as much as possible. Um, doing 60 miles. Um, it was supposed to be from the Bahamas across the Gulf into Miami, but, um, it just didn't work out with COVID protocols being able to like, where are you in international waters and having to deal with tests. Mm -hmm. And part of the team here is in, is in the UK. So they have to take a test to get to the States and then test the Bahamas and test back to the States. Trying to do that while keeping the triathlon fluid and continuous is just not possible. You'd have so many days of like just admin stuff, trying to be able to be in the country. Um, so sadly, as much as that broke my heart to change, I tried, I fought tooth and nail to make it happen. It didn't happen. Um, and it was hard to find a captain who was willing to, I, I don't think, I still never found a captain who was willing to follow me across the Gulf swimming because it's such a treacherous kind of water. Um, it's the fastest current in the world. So nobody wanted to go at the pace of a swimmer for three or four days. So I could never get a, a captain for that, but, um, so I chose the keys. So I'll go about 10 miles offshore from the keys and I'll go up to Miami from there. And that'll be about 50 to 60 miles, depending on how I zigzag. And, um, I just want to, I don't want to be on land until I finish. So, um, just going to sleep on the boat. We have a catamaran. So that's kind of like the most efficient way to go about it as far as, uh, going at the pace that I'm going. So I'm trying to picture like, what's the size of that boat that's following you? Uh, I think it's like a third, is it 40? I think it's 40 and 40 foot. So like big enough for one or two people and big enough to climb in and sleep or. Oh no, it's big. It's like, it's uh, yeah, sadly, like, uh, according to budget, like I like to make it smaller, but it's hard to find a boat rental. That's not a nice boat. Like who wants to rent a bad boat? Mm -hmm. So it's hard to find a boat that's super old unless I were to go to Miami on like firsthand and for in person and be like, Hey, take me out on your boat. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not going to find them. And I just don't have the money that I would spend for that trip would surpass what I'd be spending for this boat. So this boat is taking me over a year to find, and I've finally solidified it like the other week. Um, it has been the most biggest nightmare I've ever imagined, uh, with this triathlon is trying to find the boat. So wow. yeah, um, it's a 40 foot, it sleeps eight. So we'll have, uh, myself, um, my swim coach, uh, massage therapist, who's also like just an amazing buddy of mine, who I know is going to be like the best person in the world. Um, my buddy, Brandon, who's also, uh, part of the film team. And then you have, uh, one of the, per one of the producers will be there as well. And then you have the captain and the skipper is seven. And then we kind of have like an extra spot probably for like somebody who just part of the team who can cook. Mm, okay. So it's going to be a full boat, eight team. We'll have a little, like a rib, like a dinghy that can like motor around me to be really close. Okay. Yeah. That's wow. it. Do you have to pay all these guys or have you been looking for volunteers or I'm just curious how this all works? Volunteers would be like ideal. Cause I, I'm mm -hmm. not getting paid for this. People think right. like, like, I'm not getting paid sure. <laughs> I'm yeah. a lot of money. Um, you know, it's more than what I thought that I'd ever do initially, which kind of stinks, but it is what it is. Like I said, I was going to do it. So I'm going to do it and it's for a good cause. So like, 
I'm going to keep plugging away at it. Um, just cause you know, something costs money doesn't mean you should deter yourself, especially if it's like a passion of yours. Um, I'm going to make it happen. So, I mean, what I went through with work, like I work out, in the, I work around the States, Connecticut, like the South East coast. And, uh, I was sleeping in my car working 90 hour weeks, um, sleeping in like a two seater car, I'm six, four, it's not comfy, but it would save money on rent. Um, and I would eat, just the worst food in the world, not no fast food, but like gallons of chocolate milk and anything that was ready made from Walmart, um, buckets of cottage cheese. And, uh, my trunk in the car was my kitchen. And, uh, I just, after I got off work after a 14 hour shift, I would go swim. Like I did everything I could to pinch pennies for this, to make it happen. And, um, still doing it and still going to do it in the fall to pay back everything off. But, uh, some people have been like, Hey, and obviously me, I, I get people out families. Like I get, we have bills. So if there's anything I can do for you while you're out here, everything's paid for. Like, obviously we have the RV you sleep in, the boat you sleep in. Uh, the food is all like, I will cover the food. I will cover everything. Like you're away from your family. You're away from your job. I will cover every expense out here. You do not have to touch your wallet while you're out here. Um, if there's anything extra that you want that I'm not already getting, then like that's on you, of course. But like, as far as food, everything that's on me. Um, if there's anything I can do for you while you're at home, as far as bills and keeping food on your table while you're gone, then I'll try to help. So some people have expressed like, Hey, yeah, I would need this like bare minimum to like, if you can make it happen, that'd be awesome. But if not, like, I understand you have a lot on your plate. And if I can't do it now, like I work in the fall and I will pay them back later, like a payment plan to a system, but like everybody's my friend. And that's what I love so much about it is that like, before I outsource any any role to anybody else, I want to offer it to somebody who I'm close with. So that money goes to somebody I know who could use it or, and somebody who's passionate about it. It's not just being a part of it because there's a paycheck. I don't want anybody as part of it for a paycheck. I want you to be a part of it. And if I can compensate you, I will. And if this ends up being extremely successful and there's a fit and there's like a documentary, like Netflix buys it, then I'll try to compensate you more than what I could have before because I, I appreciate you being out here and I appreciate your faith in me. And that's all I care about. I'm not in this to make money. And that's clearly there because there's no money in this. Sure. Um, you know, so if I can help people, I will. Um, it's just so all like to be decided because no yeah. sponsors want to touch this because yeah. I'm a nobody. And, yeah. you know, in essence, like yeah. I'm not a big name. So yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, man. And so the swim is 60 miles. Yeah. How long is, do you plan on that taking you? Um, I think we're aiming at, I, I swim about like in a pool. I swim about 1.75, 1.8 miles per hour. Okay. So, you know, um, I'm going to swim tonight, actually. Um, I'll probably head out and swim tonight and looking at 5k, like in an hour and a half. So three hours or sorry, three miles in about an hour and a half. Um, that's in a pool, but if you add in some of the current assist plus the salt water, which helps you float, like I should probably get about two miles per hour, I would imagine. So, you know, I'll swim about six hours on, have a couple hours off to refuel six hours back on and just keep going until I'm done. So we're looking at probably on the verge of like just over three days, probably like finish on the fourth morning. Okay. Yeah. And very little sleep, right? Are you planning on doing these yeah. six hour shifts without sleep and like getting the whole swim done and then going down for a nap or what's your strategy? 
Yeah, I would like to do the six hours, like six hours in the water, like six mm-hmm. hours swim, and then have a couple hours off to refeed, uh, take a nap real quick, like kind of like a trail nap you would on like, you know, one of the uh, destination trails races, 250 miles, like take a nap for maybe an hour or two, yeah. and then eat, get a massage, like get my shoulder worked out if it's not working right and then get back in the water and go for another six hours. So we can't function at night. Um, Just, you can't motor at night. So that Mm -hmm. kind of sinks. So I I will have the night off, but the second, luckily it's in the spring. So, you know, sunset is pretty late and then hopefully get up about 6am and keep going. Mm, Wow. And then 3000 miles on the bike. Yep. How the hell long is that going to take? I'm aiming, I want to average at minimum 200 miles a day. So um gonna do mark beaumont is this guy who cycled around the world and i was able to get in touch with him and kind of pick his brain about like what he did and uh I've, it's been really cool being able to talk to these people diana nyad uh was a lady who swam from cuba to the keys and i was able to like get in touch with her actually ended up flying out and meeting her and like hanging out with her for the day wow. and like just so cool it's such a cool experience um like just meeting these people who are like the most elite in that division, you know, of that sport, like Mm -hmm. of the open water swimming world, uh, Mark Beaumont cycled around the world in 79 days. So like talking to him about how he did it, like, it's so cool being able to connect with these people. And, uh, I'm going to use kind of his method of doing like four hours on one hour off, four hours on one hours off. And I'm just going to keep going. Mm -hmm. And ideally it'd be 200 miles a day minimum. And that should put me at about like 16 days, give or take a day. Wow. wow. Hopefully nothing goes wrong. And then you've just got an easy 600 mile run after that. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully I will not be as large as I am now. Uh, when I ran the hundred milers, I was about 205 pounds, which like, I feel like a feather at that point. Like my whole point right now is to get fat. Like I need to put on weight because obviously muscle is more dense than water and fat is more buoyant. So my coach, the second she met me was like, and I only learned how to swim in august of last year <laughs> nice <laughs> and so you know she was like she was she was crazy as i am she's immediately she's like well enough talking then we need to get in the pool and she saw it and she's like well you have what's there but we need to fix a lot so we have a lot of work to do and uh yeah so just been plugging away at that like crazy and first thing was like you need to gain about like 15 percent more body fat so or five percent which made about 15 20 pounds and it's been tough. Um, I eat about like eight to 10,000 calories a day, like 7,000 is my maintenance. And when you put in that many hours of training in the day, it's hard to find time to eat. Yeah. You know, when you have to be your own chef, I'm not a professional. I don't have a chef. Um, you have to go to the store, do all that, your recovery sessions. Like it's, it's daunting, man. It's been this way for over a year now of just like constant, constant day in and day out. And sometimes like I'll get back home tonight about 11 i won't probably get into bed to about like 1 30 or 2 tonight so it's just how it goes uh no complaining with it it's just like it's so many things people don't see about it like it is is task is a task but uh yeah. putting on the weight is a task itself but it's cool because i'm gonna burn that weight by the time i'm done so by the time i'm running i'll be back down to about 200 pounds so i'll be about 230 when i start and i'll lose about 30 pounds over the month mm-hmm. so That'd be kind of sick because then once I'm running, I'm going to like fly. Yeah. Well, not really 600 miles. I won't fly. I'll probably be at a very slow jog, but like I, I won't be heavy. So yeah. that'd be cool. Well, it's a good strategy. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a good plan. Um, dude, it's, it's just so huge. So is this the, is this the longest triathlon that's ever oh. been done? Or I, I noticed your Instagram said that you have four world records at this point. So yeah. are you, is that what you're going for is another world record? So with those, uh, I was never planning on like getting any world records whenever I did something. It was just an after like caveat someone had mentioned. And one of them is a joke. Um, three are real. One of them's a joke. I beat Hector in a pancake eating contest. So we had like, we had the chef come out and he like gave us shirts. He gave us like, he's like, nobody has ever ate more than two of our pancakes. And I ate like four of them. And he was just like, like, like you're the champ, like you own the record. And I was like, oh, sick, man. this is it. I'm the world record of the farmhouse in San Diego. Um, so that was just a joke. Uh, but yeah, with this, was never an initial thought, but then once we started plugging away at it, you look at Red Bull, uh, they have a record by a guy, he's from Amsterdam or something, but he lives in the, or he's from the UK maybe, and he lives in Philippines, and he did, I think a triathlon that's like 400 miles longer than mine, but he did it in 189 days, and so mine is 400 miles shorter, but I'm doing it in 30, Hmm. so I set in an application to Guinness once I heard that, and was like, listen, like, I know his is longer, but if you really want me to beat it, I will go an extra 400 miles in, you know, 150 days to go, I can do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see what they say once they review the application, it should be coming in in like a week, Mm -hmm. as well as the longest single event. So there's no that is the currently the world record is, is that guy's I think his name's Adrian Bennett is his name from and he was sponsored by Red Bull and did it. So Okay. technically this is the world's longest i i don't like calling it because it sounds kind of like pretentious to be like who knows man like there's so many things out there nowadays with world records like i don't know it's more so just i did it because it's fun and if it happens to be a world record and that's awesome yeah yeah well you sound humble and low-key going into this thing even though it's a huge huge yeah. event um you know you're yeah, if you if you came at everybody and said this is going to be a world record triathlon, then all yeah. the professional triathlons come out of the woodwork and you know yeah. start giving their opinions and yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. you're better off just to go into this thing low key under the radar, and then if you set any records, great, then then let the world know. But that's not yeah, what this yeah. is about, anyways. Yeah, like it's what what breaks the record? What breaks the the continuity of a triathlon? There was a guy who did it around the world. Um, but he stopped in Mexico for two weeks and I'm like, well, at that point you didn't really, I mean, but who am I? Like, I'm just a person like who, who, who is the, the judges for this? Who's the committee? That's like two weeks you stopped. Like, I want to make this as, as continuous as possible where I don't take any transportation or rest for more than a a day. You know, that's just me. Like. I think we all just need to like stay true to ourselves and do what you want to do. And if it happens to be right, then it happens to be right. But don't do it with the idea, the extrinsic value of being like, I'm going to get a world record. Like that only gets you so far in life. Like you have to do something that really like fills you inside. And uh, to me, that's what it is. And if everybody else wants to call it that, then so be it. I get it's like clickbait and people enjoy it. So I guess in some sense in the world of social media, you kind of have to do it, but um, I don't know. Yeah. No, I hear you. What do you do for a living normally? Um, I work as an engineer. And so um, I work on nuclear plants as like around the States. So really, yeah, kind of, well, around the States, around the world. I went to Taiwan a lot in 2020 to go work. Um, 
and then a lot is just like the south and everything so yeah nuclear plants what's that like (laughs) um a lot of protocol a lot of you know hoops to jump through for everything and very very slow days like you don't really do much i work for 12 or 14 hour days but like seven days a week but really not much to it and it's seasonal so in the spring and in the fall so i have a lot of time off in the you know summer and winter to kind of like you know to search for my other passions like a lot of people in my like in the field don't like it they think it's like just grunt work but to me it's like it is if you don't utilize your time off to search for what you really love in life mm-hmm. so i use mine the fullest ability i can i'll go i'll come straight from india and right into work and people are like where are you coming from I'm like no I came from this country came from this country like i'm gonna take advantage of my time here on earth like i'm not gonna do it sitting in my lawn chair yes like, sir no yeah unless it's at an aid station then i'll sit <laughs> are you currently working or have you taken like a leave of absence to get this thing done um yeah so uh, my last job was in uh, November, started November, right before that hundred miler. Um, yeah, that was my last job. I had to turn down jobs in the spring. Um, I wish I wouldn't have, but then again, like, ah, it's tough, man. Like I'd be more financially stable if I took them, but at the same time, I'd probably be more stressed out. Uh, yeah. I think I almost had a heart attack in October. I had to go to the hospital. Um, my heart rate or my blood pressure was like in intensive crisis, like above stage two. Um, I was so stressed out with everything that had to do with this. I was working. I wasn't sleeping. That was that car story. It's like, I did that at every job, but like that one got really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was terrible. I was waking up with like 120 heart rate. And <laughs> I was like, I have to go. Like my eye was just constantly twitching all the time. And like, thought I was going to die. So I had to go check into that and see what it was. And basically the doctor was just like, you're just not sleeping. Like I sleep three hours and that was it for like a month. So. I do a really good job of not sleeping. So I should, I should do well in May. You are an athlete that's training your ass off. You should be sleeping as much as humanly possible. Are you just not able to sleep or what's going on there? Uh, I don't know, man. I think when it came to that, it's like, I prioritize stuff and I'm like, uh, obviously sleep is a priority. I love sleep. I hate when people are like, sleep is for the week. Like, no, it's not. Sleep is actually a very beneficial tool for recovery. So, um, use it. Uh, I just, I think I get into this mode where I'm like, I have so much going on. I don't have time. I don't have time to sleep. And like, I'll wake up in the morning, not be able to sleep. I'll be like, no, I'm up at four. I'm up at four. There's things to do. I need to get them done. And like, I like, yeah, I won't stop until it gets done. So I've always said that like, I'm not very athletic. Like my, you look at my family genes, like we are not an athletic family. Like, I don't know where I came from my family. I just am extremely stubborn. I refuse to give up. Like, yeah. So I think that's where it comes from with sports. Like I just, I'm stubborn four in the morning. Something needs to get done. I'm not stopping until it's done. And that's been like this whole year is like something needs to get done. I have a big event coming up and there's so many people who rely on me now for it that like, you know, I need to go. I don't have time to sleep. But I love, I love. Wow. That's crazy. It's crazy, man. Okay. So do you yeah. have plans beyond this or are you just, lo- I mean, this is a huge event. You don't need to be looking beyond it, but as an athlete, you know, yeah. I'm just wondering, are you thinking like, what am I going to do after this? What's up next year? A hundred percent. So, uh, somebody has told me this as well. They're like, Oh, you need, there's some saying about not thinking what's next. And like, I don't, but like, 
with fighting, if you ask me what is happening, if I fought at 11 o'clock at night, which sometimes you fought at midnight, if you're like the main event, like, what are you, what are you doing at 1230 tonight? Don't know. That literally does not exist in my brain. After this fight does not exist. The only thing that exists, I'm going to die in the cage. Yes. Like that is when my life, like, if you look at a timeline of my life, it is black after 11 o'clock. Like there's no such thing as after. And that is exactly how we were. 24 the girlfriends probably hated it at the time like what are we doing sunday we're on vacation in like seattle like there's what's sunday there's no sunday and so any vacation weekend was gone but this is kind of the same at least i can tweak my mindset now to be like i have something in mind but there's literally nothing after this like my life is may maybe june 2nd 3rd 4th 5th if it goes long but like um, I want to do something extremely, uh, endurance based. It's like the hardest swimming in the world. Since I just became a swimmer, I might as well now tackle the biggest swimming challenge. And, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, I have seen my, how my coach signs off on that. I don't know how she'll feel. I think she'll be all for it, but it'll be a big undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. Badass, dude. I can't wait to hear about it. I can't wait to follow along. Dude. I'm, I'm, Way to drop it I, I know that question is going to come like yeah. all right what's next and i'm like this yeah but I'm, i have to hold on to it until this mm. is done because i don't want to put it out there just yet but yeah no. that's I, I have it planned i i totally get it um yeah start thinking about that when you've got like five miles left of the run to go you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh um, is there a place where we can support you? Do you have like a website yeah. or anything where people can get on and, and donate to this or how does it work? Yep. Yeah. So, um, if you go to true triathlon.org, um, that's my website that we have for this, uh, it has everything. If you want to get hyped about the actual triathlon, we have a trailer for it. Um, mm-hmm. there's also a pitch deck. If companies want to kind of check out how they can, uh, sponsor it in any sort of way. And we can come up with like creative, uh, creative kind of, uh, campaigns for them or creative, uh, packages of how they can sponsor it. And then if you look at Instagram, uh, at the real Justin true is where you can find me most of the time where I am extremely active on that. So those are my two outlets right there. Cool. And then on that website as well is the donation page and kind of, you know, or just, if you don't want to donate something to at least get on the email, the newsletter, and then we can always like kind of keep in touch and give updates as we're going along the country. So that is on the donate pages as well. Cool. Cool. Well, I'll list it in the show notes and I'll check it out and looking forward to digging in. Um, one of our mutual friends, Hector Rodriguez, uh, I've had him on the show a couple of times. He finished the triple crown this year. Uh, super badass. How did you get linked up with him? How'd you meet that guy? Um, so basically from him just being a badass, uh, yeah. some guy, a uh, guy named Chad, he, um, he follows me and he follows Hector and he's like, Hey man, um, and this is about in the spring of 2020. So just after I had kind of announced I was doing this, um, and he was like, Hey, uh, my buddy Hector does a lot of crazy stuff. Just like you, you guys should, you guys should connect. And so <laughs> we ended up following each other. We ended up connecting. And it was immediately like brotherhood, man. Like we were just boys immediately. And he was, I really wanted to be out there for Bigfoot because it's up in my neck of the woods but i was out at work and i couldn't get out to it um and then the tahoe race got canceled and it got moved to san diego which regardless i was going to go and so i drove the 18 hours from bend all the way down to san diego showed up at two in the morning uh slept in my car again i'm pretty good at that and uh 
ended up finding him at Petco Park. And there's like this such a cool picture, man, of like him and I like hugging the first second we meet. And it was so funny because it was like this moment you, you realize you didn't get catfished because like I was, wa- I was walking across the street. It's like four in the morning when he was going to start or something like that. And like, I see the shadow, like the silhouette of Hector is so like, everybody knows it. Like you have the beanie, you have the headphones, you have the hoodie and the shorts. And I was like, oh, that's Hector. Never met him. But I'm like, wow, he looks a lot bigger than like, he looks a lot bigger in person. Like what you would think if you like met some chick on an app, you'd be like, she doesn't look like her profile picture. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what I thought. I was like, he looks so much bigger in person. And then I realized it's his brother and his brother's a lot bigger than he is. Uh, <laughs> I looked over to the side. I was like, oh, okay, there he is. I was like, I didn't get catfished. So uh, yeah, man, from that point, that, that moment on, um, it was cool. He was doing the, you know, the Tahoe 200, uh, 212 miles or so. And I think, I don't know what I ended with him at. Uh, I had never really ran. Like you said, like in November was, I did my first hundred. Um, I did, I I don't know how far it was, 140, 150 with him. Um, I just like, I didn't want to leave his side. Like he was such a cool, he's such like an electrifying person that Mm -hmm. like, everybody knows it. Like there's something about the dude that people just gravitate towards. And I was one of those people. I'm like, dude, I literally do not want to leave your side. I want to hang out with you. If anything you need, I'm here. Like, let me know what you you need me to fight like a crocodile, an alligator, a (laughs) cougar. Like you let me know, like I'm here, I'm here to die for you. Like if you're my friend, like I'm, I will go, I will go to battle for you. And, uh, we went through some really cool stuff along that, along that run. And, uh, yeah, ever since then, we've just been boys and, uh, head down to San Diego in the fall and went to God, went and stayed with him for a bit, trained with him. And, uh, yeah, man, it was cool. Nice. Yeah. Brothers for life now. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So he, he's pretty much, uh, signed off on being my head crew chief for this. So, He's going to finish Cocodona, uh, you know, Cocodona, or yeah, Cocodona is May 2nd to May 5th or 7th. Yep. And uh, he's coming right out about May 9th to hopefully probably intersect us in Austin, I would imagine, somewhere around Austin or New Orleans. And uh, he's going to be cycling with me whenever he fully recovers from the run. And uh, yeah, we're going to finish off the rest of the triathlon together. So that's pretty nice. cool. I'm nice. excited about that. I'm excited Dude. to have him out there. It just sounds so epic, man. Uh, it sounds so cool. Just looking forward to the, like the biggest month of your life, dude. I mean, it's just nuts. Um, going back to, to where we sort of started, I'm curious, like how your mental health is these days and how you sort of wrestle with that, or maybe there isn't a struggle at all. Like what's it like these days? Oh man, it's tough. Um, I definitely opened up a can of worms when it came to this triathlon. Um, you know, I don't think we're ever done working on our mental health. I think we always become stronger and stronger. And I always thought I was so iron tight. I'm like, man, like fighting really made this like mental fortitude just is what it is. Like, I'm, like I can get over anything and right. opening up the triathlon, like opened up a lot of it again, where like I've had a lot of hard issues, a lot of hard times, like during this, I mean, I could have the highest of highs, like San Diego. I told all the guys, like, just got done with San Diego, such electrifying atmosphere down there, such good vibes. Everybody's loving each other, just met each other, but like you're immediately like brothers and sisters and family. And, uh, you know, I'm just standing on like someone's roof, just hanging out like up, like multiple 20, 30 stories high. And I'm like, man, what if I just jumped right now? Like, just curious. Like, what if I did, like, what would happen? You start playing it through your head. I'm like, why, man, I'm happy. Why would I think this? And, you know, there's just been a lot this year, uh, with a triathlon, like I would just end all of it, man. Like 
I, you probably talk to people who are around me, like there's probably multiple days in a week where I'm just like, I want this all to end. Like why? Like, I wish I was just dead. Like I wish just, you know, I'd say some like pretty like dark things and it's opened up a lot in me that I've had to like kind of dig deep and wonder like, all right, why am I doing this? Like I'm doing this for a good reason. Um, you know, do I regret starting this triathlon and opening up this can of worms or is this something that I need to overcome as well? So it's not something that is just said and done with the second you overcome, like, you know, your suicide attempts, you know, maybe you are, maybe people are just done with it, but I know I'm not, I know there's a lot of like stuff in my closet that I'm just suffering through. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting year. It's been a tough year for sure. Um, and definitely have seeked, uh, going to, going to therapy again as an outlet to try to like get stuff out there. But, uh, yeah, man, it's been a road. I would say it's definitely, definitely sometimes like some people, you know, I don't know, it's not a one, one size fits all. Some people can, you know, get over it if you want to say in that, that term and uh, be good. And some people, it takes longer than others. And I'm one of those people. So if people are hearing this man, like you're not alone, like sometimes it's a lifelong journey. So yeah. I'm yeah. still there. I'm still pushing through it. But well, you, I know, had a tra- you had a traumatic past, man. I mean, it sounds like there was a lot to, to work through. So um, I don't think that's going to come overnight. Yeah. Um, so are you currently seeing a therapist? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Currently. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Have you ever um, heard of uh, bigger than the trail? I have. Um, yeah. I talked with, um, with tailwind about kind of being the sponsor for this, for nutrition side of it. And I have contacted a lot of, I'm super picky about who I connect with, um, as far as like, um, as organizations, cause sure. I have my own nonprofit true dreams fund, um, mm-hmm. for true dreams project fund for this triathlon. Cause I want to keep rolling and keep doing things after this, but I'm super picky. Cause like, I don't know where money goes. It's a lot of with organizations. We don't know where money goes. Mm-hmm. And so I've contacted, I don't know, like name some of them, but like throw them under the bus, but I've contacted a lot of them, talked to a lot of them and. A lot of them do not want to be a part of this. They, it doesn't benefit them at all. Even though it's just a share, like you share it with your massive following. Like hopefully, you know, I can bring a lot of money to you. You guys, all you have to do is share it, like bring it to people who might find, you know, solace in it, you know? And uh, there's a lot of legit, a lot of like, I don't know even what the word is for it, but just not good stuff, man. Um, And I talked to Tailwind and they had brought up, um, you know, bigger than the trail. And I was like, I like this, like, this is something that's really, really cool. Um, and I heard it again with you and Caleb and I was like, man, like, this is perfect. This is like with the trail running community, ultra running community, ultra community and mental health. And so I want to shoot them a message and be like, Hey, I want all my stuff to go to you. So it's been a big thing this week with me is like, I've filtered out everybody who isn't true to who they say they are and bigger than the trail seems like the people who I want to connect with mm-hmm. everything that I've heard is nothing but good things and everything I've looked into it's all goes to the right places and so uh the three months free that you had mentioned mm-hmm. up front like mm-hmm. it's just incredible people like yeah. and the people who I can really really get behind and um I'm not comfortable supporting people who I don't know and I don't know what their objective is and bigger than the trail I see their objective very very clearly and I want nothing more than to just support them and what their mission is because I think we align so um hopefully we can shoot them a message tomorrow and see if cool. we can uh yeah just pair yeah that's awesome no I think it's a great company and I don't know all the ins and outs of them, but they sponsor the show and I bring them up whenever I think about yeah. it because they have three free months of therapy. So yeah, anybody listening, anybody who, who wants to talk to somebody has something going on in their life that they need to get off their chest. 
there's literally three free months of therapy waiting for you. It's, it's really easy. I signed up for it. it, it it's mm-hmm. super simple. They had a therapist for me in like 48 hours. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a great company and I love what they're doing. And it, it sounds like they align with what you're up to too. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard that on the last podcast with you and Caleb and I'm like, man, like I wish I would have known that. So I hope that whoever hears this and whoever I can push to hear this is like, man, like bigger than a trip, like three months free. Like that's the big thing is like, it's always really expensive. And you, people worry yeah. about that. How about this? Just try it for three months. Like you, you lose nothing and you gain so much. So like, why not? So, um, I, I love it. I think that's absolutely beautiful of them to do that. So yeah, yeah I can't support that any more than I already do. Like I love yeah. it. Totally. Totally. And therapists are all really open-minded. Of course, they're all licensed. You can do zoom, you can text, you can talk to them on the phone, like literally whatever you're comfortable with. So yeah, yeah, I can't say enough good things about those guys. Um, but, uh, therapy is something that works for you. Do you find success with that? Like just getting shit off your chest and just talking about (laughs) the past and all that stuff that works for you. Yeah, man. Um, there's those times where like they ask you a question and then you say it and you're like, damn it, you just Mr. Miyagi me. Like, <laughs> like you got me. I was like, this is that question. This is that yeah. question you hear in movies of like, how does that make you feel? And you're like, you got me. That's why you asked that. And like, all like, it plays in my head. I'm like, I see where you're going to go with this. Touche. Yeah. Like yeah. you unraveled something like they, the questions they ask, I like, mean, like it's, it's the questions that need to be asked. And yeah. it unravels a lot of the onion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm what else do you do to take care of your mental health? Do you do anything else like meditate or breathing or yoga or I, I don't know, anything crazy or tips for any of us that are always struggling? Definitely, definitely breath work a lot. Um, try to just focus on my breath and being present. Like um, I need to always do more of it. I think it's not something that, again, like there's no one size fits all, but there's no end to it. Um, you can always be better at it and uh, focus on it more and, um, I find it like not just helps me be present, but also helps my performance, like, mm-hmm. you know, strengthening your diaphragm, opening it up. Like, how is that better for being in the water? Like, it's incredible. It's helped my swimming so much, let alone help my mental status. Like, um, and then obviously just, you know, it's training, training helps getting out there and lifting. I should stop lifting. My coaches want me to stop lifting, but I hate it. Like I don't want to lift because you, I always say this, like you can lift angry, you can run angry, you can cycle angry, but you cannot swim angry. And like, there's no way you can swim angry. Like you're going to punch the water. Like that's just not going to work. <laughs> so if I'm ever feeling stressed or I just need to get something, like I'll just go throw around some weights for a while. And then that stress is gone. I'll go get in the pool because, uh, I can't swim angry. And it really, really is frustrating when you're trying to swim and you're angry. And when you feel like when you're depressed or you're sad or anything like you have, it feels like there's a weight on your chest and you can't breathe. Like we all know that when you're depressed or you're going through stuff, like mentally, like you have a weight on your chest and you cannot breathe and trying to swim. It's already hard enough. We are like, that's the biggest problem with people in swimming is breathing efficiently while swimming, let alone. Now you have something on your chest metaphorically plus swimming. It's like, you feel like you're drowning on top of already drowning. Like depression feels like you're drowning on dry land plus swimming now you're actually drowning uh you know it's definitely something that i have to be aware of and be like man i can't swim today how do i focus on this get rid of this for now or mediate it so i can go swim later because it's what i have to do so whether that is biking or running and going out in nature man um i live in i live in london right now um and being in the city is tough um it's very very gloomy london is known for its depression and dark weather 
um you know as is like you go to seattle like it's a very sad place because of the weather we're all kind of you know need some sun and uh i need to go out to the trails man i'll go out to the trails go out in the trees and the forest a little bit i'll find a park and just try to reconnect and uh it definitely helps so those are my kind of outlets right there lifting biking running and then just being in the water man like if you can find the ocean too, if you can go take an ice bath, obviously like the Wim Hof method, like mm-hmm. go find an ice bath, go to the ocean. Oceans are cold usually. And like, just sit like yeah. it. Yeah. It helps me tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. The cold water helps me. Um, yeah. I get into all that stuff and I figured you did too. Yeah. Um, wow, man. Um, <laughs> crazy story, man. I don't even know where to go from here. I mean, you got the biggest adventure of your life coming up and, and I can't wait, man. It's, it's going to be tremendous. You mentioned that when you, um, when all the martial arts stuff and the MMA stuff sort of stopped, that's when the depression kind of started for you. I mean, do you ever think about that? Like after this big event, when things stop and settle down, like after I run a hundred mile race, like I'm pretty jacked up for like a day or two, but then usually a, a nice depression comes in after that, that follows for about a week. Like I've right. been high for a couple of days and then all of a sudden that low comes in. And do, do you think about that? Do you, do you like plan for that? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Like when you, when this whole triathlon thing is over and everything dissipates and the <laughs> interviews are over, like then what? Yeah. No, um, I was, I was going to make a joke. Like, no, man, but thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, no, <laughs> no, um, I'm no, not trying right. to jinx you or anything. <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, I mean, after, um, after a lot of the runs, I think it's, you know, you have such hype, you have such love from everybody. Um, it feels good, you know, like, you know, people are congratulating you after fights. It was the same deal. Like people yeah. congratulate you. You're like the talk of the town. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you disappear. Yeah. You're and like, I, who am I? I don't, yeah. I don't even know who I am right now. Yeah. And I've been used to it. Um, you know, I think I've been able to, I think the post run and post fights, uh, were different than the end of my like fighting career depression. I think that was finally, um, things finally rushing back in that I had never dealt with as far as like my brother and my mom. Um, and you know, there's stints of like homelessness when I was like, you know, 14, 15, like, you know, I spent a couple nights out in the street, um, during that time, uh, trying to deal with that kind of stuff was a lot of stuff that came rushing back in, um, versus after like a single fight or after a run that I, I understand that difference of it. So I think I've, unraveled enough of the shoe boxes in my closet and my demons in my closet that once this is all over that stuff isn't going to come out um i think a big thing like you said yeah um after all the hype and the adrenaline is finally worn off um i think getting my life back in order is going to be a big task um you know my life relationships have been just completely turned upside down for, mm-hmm. from this in the last mm-hmm. 12 months and um things have had to be put on hold for 15 months. Like that is incredible time to put your life on hold for something. And uh, I think just being able to get that. So yeah, man, like, thank you for asking. Like, honestly, like, thank you for asking. Cause a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't realize that, that like, you know, I had to tell some people that who are a part of this project, I'm like, man, like you don't realize that, like, I know you guys have donated a lot of your time, but like my life is on hold. Like mm-hmm. you're just donating a day or two. Like my life is on hold. And uh, I'm ruining relationships because of it, because I can't focus on it. You know, I'll be in the pool till 10, till 10 PM. I won't be in bed till by two. Like, 
you know? So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be different once it ends. It'll be, it'll be nice. It'll be relaxing, but stress-free, but um, a new storm of things to come in and try to handle. So yeah. 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 A few years ago, I did an Ironman and I remember when I was training for it, like everything was focused on this race so much so that like my garbage disposal broke and I'm like, nah, I can't (laughs) fix the garbage disposal till after the race. So I went like, you know, four or five days without a garbage disposal, no big deal in the big scheme of things, but I'm just like, I just don't have the mental capacity to fix this until after the race. And you're just doing that on a way, way bigger level. Like you're putting things off for like 12 to 15 months. So yeah. And yeah, (laughs) relationships. It's like, I really, I love you. I love my family members, but I don't have time to hang out with you. I have to be training right now because I have this objective coming up that I have to train for. Yeah. So I get it, man. Everything's on hold right now. And you're almost just looking forward to getting your life back together. <laughs> yeah. Like people ask me, like, you know, like you have a certain amount of hours in the day. Like showering is a luxury. There's, I don't think I've showered in the last five days, actually. <laughs> uh, thinking about it, like I rinse off after the pool. If like I'm quick, like I'll rinse off, no soap. Um, I'll rinse off. And then like, I'm back in the pool tomorrow. I'll rinse off. But like, I just, I, that is a luxury to be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah people don't see it as a luxury. Like that's gross. Like, no, it's a luxury. The fact that I can have hot water press of a button, that's luxury. And, you know, I spent a lot of time like those weird countries, not weird countries, but like, you know, kind of lower end countries um, where like, that's luxury to people. Like I've had to bathe in rivers going across Madagascar and see what you have to poop in. Like, you know, food is a luxury. And um, yeah, it's one of the things I'm like, I don't have time for this. It's like you said, do I want to waste an hour you know, showering, shaving and cleaning up, or do I want to spend an hour extra in bed? I'm going to spend an hour extra in bed because that's worth it. So showers, showers, wait, man. I'm luckily I'm not a smelly person. So (laughs) we'll, we'll see if anybody agrees with that on the RV, but, uh, (laughs) yeah. Well, dude, man, very impressive. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for taking, uh, gosh, a couple hours out of your swim schedule there, man. You got to get, you got to get swimming tonight. So yeah, at seven. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, man, thank you for doing this and, and good luck on the upcoming project. I'm going to be keeping an eye on you. Lots of people are, um, and you also, you strike me as the kind of guy that if anyone were to reach out to you about any of these issues that, that you've had in your past, you, <laughs> I'm guessing you're the kind of guy that's going to be receptive and and willing to help people or at least give them the advice that you have or something like that. You seem like the kind of guy that's pretty, pretty active on Instagram. Yeah, man. Um, There's a lot of my time that I know some people have been like, people close to me have been, I've kind of asked people, Hey man, how do you respond to every message all day and still get back to it? Like, well, because your messages are different, man. Like they say that to me and they're like, your message is about people like wanting to kill themselves. And I'm like, that's true. That is like probably true. Like my messages are very, very deep and heavy and I may not get back to somebody immediately, but it's because I see the message is so lengthy. And I know right now I'm going from the bike to running and like, I don't want to give your message five minutes. I want to give your message a half an hour because I want to voicemail you. I want to call you. I want to actually like give you a heartfelt answer not a copy paste, like, Oh, get back to you in three to five days. Like, if I had to tell somebody, Hey, I see your message. I've read it. Uh, I have so much love for you. Um, I'm currently like transitioning right now between these events. Like I want your, I want to give you my full undivided attention. I'll get back to you as soon as possible. 
which is usually like a day or two. Um, and you know, that's, is what it is. Some I've even gone too far to like hand out my number to a lot of people. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. I just, it's an important, it's an important thing. And I'm in what I say I'm about, I'm about helping everybody else. And so like, I'll find time for it. Um, so yeah, it is definitely, I would love for people to reach out to me if they need to, I'm there. So nice. I'm receptive, I'm responsive and I will get back to them. And, uh, it is heartfelt hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Well, you know, that sort of helps you in your mental state too. helping other people. It gets you out of your own head, like asking someone else how they're doing, what their struggles are, and then trying to help them with that gets you out of your own head. And then you feel better about yourself afterwards. So it's like, you're almost healing yourself by helping other people. So you, you like offering, offering yourself up for that is, is really cool, man. And it's just part of your process. Yeah. The, 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 the first couple of times being on the news for this, um, I can't tell you some of the messages I got were just like mind boggling. People are like, I haven't told my family members about this. I haven't told my, like my kids or my husband about this, but like, I'm telling you and this person has ever met me, but they just see like the, the genuine, I, I don't, it sounds like, I don't like talking about myself in third person, but like seeing the genuine person on the news, like this person actually cares. Like, that's all I want is people to know that I'm genuine. I'm honest. Like that's the one thing you can say about me is I don't lie. Like, even if it makes you cry, I will tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Loved ones know that. And, uh, you know, if I don't like what you're wearing, I'm going to say, I hate that jacket, uh, <laughs> but I mean it. And that's why when I say nice, you know, it. but, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's just, yeah. And, um, people have reached out and said some incredibly nice things. And it's, it's just been mind boggling to be like, man, I didn't know I had this kind of effect that I could have this kind of effect that somebody would allow me to be able to come into their life and sort of be able to share something with them. And it's helped my journey tenfold, like more than I could ever imagine it ever helping. And it's been mind blowing. So it's so cool that anybody finds strength in what I'm saying and opening up about that allows them to open up about um, is just, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, man, I can't wait to see what happens and, uh, we'll be cheering for you and, uh, yeah, good luck, dude. And, and I gotta let you go cause you gotta get swimming. So (laughs) dude, enjoy the swim and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens, man. So just get, get after it, buddy. Get after it. Thank you, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Stay in touch dude you ever come to colorado look me up and uh, we'll get after it but um yeah man all right have a great day dude i appreciate you doing this justin of course man cool later later all right guys uh heartfelt thank you for listening and hanging out until the end of the show i really really appreciate you guys i'd like to give a shout out to all of our sponsors first of all exoskin Their running apparel keeps you comfortable in absolutely any condition. Say goodbye to chafing and blisters. Check them out, exoskin.us. Use our discount code, capital BTC, for 15% off. Real quick, I want to tell you guys about Bigger Than the Trail. Bigger Than the Trail is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization that is using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. If you've ever thought about getting therapy and aren't exactly in a position where you can afford it right now, Bigger Than the Trail offers you free therapy for up to three months. No strings attached, you guys. This is is really, really cool what these guys are doing. I couldn't love what they're doing anymore, in fact. Uh, I signed up. It was quick. It was easy. They matched me with a therapist that met my personal criteria, 
and I meet with them once a week. I'm trying this thing. You guys should try this thing, and we can all do this together. Look up Bigger Than the Trail, sign up for their services, and let's do the small things in life that eventually lead us to doing the big things. Please let them know we sent you. We also want to thank our good friends at Alter Ego Running. They make premium performance hats, and who doesn't need a good hat when you're out running or on an adventure? These hats should be your go-to on your everyday runs, epic adventures, and just cruising around town. Check out Alter Ego Running. Use our promo code, capital DOBIGTHINGS, all caps, for 20% off. This podcast is also brought to you by our good friends at On Pace Wellness. Contact them if you need to get your nutrition on track. Mention this podcast. He's going to give you a 10% discount and get you properly tuned up. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, the finest, in my opinion, non-alcoholic craft beer on the market. Check out athleticbrewing.com. Use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the best non-alcoholic beer around. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. All right, guys, find us at big-things-crewing.com or patreon.com slash do big things. Life is short. Do big things, baby. Pedro, thanks for a run, homie.